turn with me to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, we're going to read the first 12 verses. We're in the last chapter of this uh, book, written by Jesus' half-brother, James. First 12 verses. Next week we'll finish this chapter and be done, Lord willing. And let's look at it and let the, the Word of God feed us. You know, we die, we wouldn't make it without the Word. We would not make it without the Word. And uh, David said, Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I will not sin against you, or that I might not sin against you. James 5, 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded. And their corrosion will be a witness against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Ouch. I know I don't want to be in those first three verses. Whoever he's talking to, and I think I know who, I'll tell you, but don't want to be there. Indeed, here's the problem with these folks. Verse 4. Here's why they got such a judgment. Indeed, the wages or the paychecks of the laborers who mowed your fields, who were on your clock, who worked for you, which you kept back by fraud, you kept back their money by fraud, cry out. Their money is crying out. Their money is crying out. The money that should have gone into their hands is crying out. And the cries of the reapers, those who did work, have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned. You have murdered the just. He does not resist you. All right, now he's going to. Now that's a judgment he passes on people who fraudulently kept back money. Now look at verse 7. Therefore be patient, brethren. Now he's talking to the the wronged. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts. You who are wronged, be patient. Catch that. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand or is a step away. While you're being wronged, while you're having to wait, just keep it in context here, verse 9, don't grumble against one another. Don't grumble or groan. You know how you know you're groaning against one another? You look at them and you say, "Mm." He says, don't groan against one another. Brethren, lest you be condemned. Then he assures them, behold, the judge who has seen everything that's happened to you is standing at the door. He's standing at the door. The judge is at the door. Okay? Verse 10, my brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job, who was wronged. He, not only did he get afflicted, but three of his friends wrongly testified to him. And you have seen the end intended by the Lord. I love that phrase. That the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. 
But above all, above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. That's so important. Father, thank you for your word tonight. In Jesus' name, bless it to our hearts. Help us to hear you, hear you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Isn't that good stuff we're reading there? Well, you know, a long time ago I learned to, to divide chapters in, into sections or themes because you can take the Sermon on the Mount and, and if you just follow it by themes, it's three chapters in Matthew, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which we ought to go through sometime at the Sermon on the Mount, but it's more than just the be attitudes or the be happy attitudes, but the Sermon on the Mount is divided into, into themes or subjects, usually many per chapter. So it helps if you'll just take your pen or pencil and follow the theme, the subject, and, 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 and close it, case it in. Circle it, square it in, whatever you want to do, mark it in, so that you can, you can meditate on the different themes or subjects that were on the mind of God when God gave us the Word. Because in the original text, uh, y'all, there were no chapters. There were no verses. It was just an, an, a flow of text. And translators took it and, and gave it verses and chapter numbers and so on and so forth. But in the original, if you were to see it and unroll that papyri or papyrus in these long rolls, it was just a long continuum. There were, there were no chapter breaks, no verse breaks. So what God did was God was giving uh, different things around the mind and heart of God as he gave us this word. And so it helps, I think, to take those subjects or those themes. And we've got several here in James 5. And so what I've done is I've tried to break it up in, into uh, the themes that God gave us, or into themes, so that I can give you one whole thought instead of being sort of a helter-skelterish with it, okay? So now, in the first three verses, he's talking about dishonestly gotten money, or money obtained dishonestly. And, uh, you know, James, just like all the other apostles and like the rest of the word, he's going to meddle, he's going to meddle in our business and... How many of you have uh, gone on in life long enough to know that most things boil down to money? Have you ever noticed that? I mean, sure, there's the walk with God and family and so on and so forth, but how many times a day is your mind forced to think about money? How many times a day do you find yourself pondering money? How am I going to get the money for this? Or I wish I had the money for that. Or, or uh, what happened to my money? You know? And as a matter of fact, the writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, said money answers everything. Money answers everything. Now, it won't get you saved, it won't get you into heaven, but shy of that, it answers just about everything. If you've got a bunch of money, you don't really have very many things you need to ask for of people. Matter of fact, Proverbs are very clear. To the rich man, there's many friends, but the poor has to look hard for one friend. Money answers everything. Money, money, the Beatles were wrong. It can buy you love. <laughs> to a point, I think somebody can decide that they want to love you if you've got a bunch of money. But now he's going to talk about money here. And he's talking about money dishonestly gotten, dishonestly obtained. He said, if you get money dishonestly, it's going to rise up against you in the judgment. And he's very graphic with his language here. 
I mean, it's, it's going to actually burn you. It's going to act as a judge against you. Uh, you're going to watch it corrode. It's going to be a witness against you. Money dishonestly gotten will rise up and witness against you in the judgment. Now, he's, he's probably taking poetic license there, but I think it's very, very effective. Money's going to rise up and, 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 and judge us if we dishonestly get it. He says, don't get money dishonestly. Here's the problem. He's talking now to bosses. He's talking to men, primarily, who had fields, who were very successful farmers, and they were hiring people to work for them, and they were holding back their wages by fraud. That word fraud is real interesting in the Greek language. Uh, the word fraud, the idea behind it, it's used of a bath insufficiently warmed. How many of you have ever drawn a bath, you went off to do something, forgot about it, and came back and went to get in and it was freezing cold? Not what you expected. Here, that's the idea of fraud. It's like a bath, or, or a bath insufficiently warmed so that you've got people expecting you to pay them and they get burned. They get burned. So they were holding back the money that was due these people. And James is not releasing an indictment on people who are rich. He wasn't saying your money's going to rise up and speak against you in the judgment because you're rich. He's talking about how they got rich. How they got rich. How did they get rich? <clears throat> By fraud. They were holding back <clears throat> the laborers' wages. And that's how they were getting rich. So James said that's the kind of riches, those are the kinds of riches that are going to rise up and, and bite you. He said, you better know that if you hold back money by fraud from those to whom it is due, it's going to bite you in the judgment. If nothing else, God sees it, and God's going to judge you at the judgment for it. I'm going to tell you something, folks. I was talking about getting older. The older you get, the more you stop and think about your mortality. How many of you are baby boomers in here? Okay. How many of you are, are busters? You see, you don't even know. That tells me you're busters. You're underneath the boomers. I don't know the age break, but here's the deal. The older you get, the more you start thinking about your mortality. Because you begin to see, as years go on, that life is brief. It shoots by in decades. It just goes by in decades. And you realize, 10 years ago, I... And 10 years ago, I was over here. 10 years ago, I did this. 10 years ago, I did that. Where has the time gone? And the older you get, the faster it goes by, or it seems to. So you, what you do is you start economizing your time, and you start thinking, you know, I really am going to die someday. If the Jesus doesn't come back, I'm going to die someday. And when I do, I'm going to go to my maker. So what I want is I want short accounts. I want short accounts. I want to keep real short accounts. So when I meet him... There is not a long list of things that he's got to talk to me about. You want to keep everything under the blood. If you sin, get it right quick. Get it under the blood. Live that way. Live that way. Because in a moment, you could be going home tonight, God forbid, and I'm not speaking this over anybody, but I've had it happen. I've, I've had people sit in a service and then leave and, and not make it home. And they didn't know that was their last day. James is teaching us here, live with eternity in your view. Live with eternity in your view. 
live with that other world and the God that is in that world and the God who's watching you, he cares how you treat people. Remember in the beginning of this series, I told you, James was going to talk to us about how we treated each other? See, we tend to think that God doesn't see the way we treat each other, but God really does. It matters to God the way you treat each other. So James is saying, keep real short accounts. You better know, if you, if you defraud people, you're going to answer in the judgment. How you handle money x-rays your character. Did you know that? Let me give you some examples. Do you pray, or rather, do you pay your bills? Do you pay your bills? Do you? How about do you cheat on taxes? Do you cheat on taxes? Nothing wrong with an honest loophole, but do you cheat on taxes? If you can find a loophole that's legal, find it. But it's another thing to cheat. Do you cheat on taxes? Do you borrow money with no way to pay it back? You borrow money with no way to pay it back? The way you handle money, Jesus talked about this, is an x-ray of your character. The way you handle money. What you do with money. Do you cheat people out of money because they're believers and you believe they'll let you off? So you cheat them. Long time ago, I came to be wary of, of companies that called themselves Christian. Isn't that a shame? But if they called themselves a Christian company, I got to where I was avoiding them. If they had an ichthus on their door, I said, give me somebody. Now, this is terrible, but I had some experiences. Give me somebody lost as a goose, going straight to hell, but they're honest with money. And I'd rather deal with them. Conversely, have you ever seen somebody take advantage of a believer because they knew they were believers and they were t uh, taking advantage of their mercy and ripped them off believing they'd let them off the hook because they were believers? That's wrong. Doesn't matter who it is you owe, if you owe it, pay it. Pay it. Pay it. There isn't anything that'll sit on you like an 800-pound gorilla, like debt, or like walking around with money guilt. Money guilt will get you. Your pillow hits the head, at, uh, your head hits the pillow at night, and, you, and the first thing that comes to your mind, if, you're, if you've wronged somebody with money, it haunts you. You wake up, it haunts you. Unless your conscience is gone. If you owe somebody, pay them. If you can't pay them, don't borrow. And I think the best way is get to where you don't have to borrow, period. I think that's the best way. If you're using three credit cards, try to get down to one. And, you know, I was talking to somebody, and they're not in this church, so it doesn't matter. Uh, I got, it was, it was just a really difficult phone call. Uh, 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 actually, it was a relative. Called me from out of state. And, um, distant relative. Matter of fact, I don't think I've ever met him face to face. But they called me and wanted me to pray for him because they knew that I was a minister. And they had gotten so deep in a credit card debt that I couldn't begin to see the way out for them, barring a miracle. Because you know, when you're paying 18% interest on a card, think about that. If you get into $10,000, $12,000 worth of debt on a credit card, and it's 18% interest, that's a car. It's so easy to do, isn't it? It's so easy to hear God in the mall. I think there's a mall demon. 
You get in that mall, and you hear the voice of God. It's okay with me. And, and isn't it funny how you'll even hear verses. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Well, I walk into that mall, and there's all kinds of desires in my heart. So praise God, he's going to give me the desires of my heart. But hey, have you ever noticed the most faithful person to write you is a collector? They're always so faithful to write. I'll go out in the mail and say, ah, letters, ah, Chase, Manhattan, Visa, American Express, pay, you owe. It's better to go to bed at night and go to sleep with peace and not a, a terribly burdensome debt any day of the week. Nothing will harm. So James said, watch what you do with money. Watch what you do with money. It's an x-ray of your character and of your faith and of your heart. And I want to give you a word of encouragement. If you get into debt, bad debt, God will help you. I really do believe if you, if you lack wisdom, ask of God. And say, okay, Lord, you know, I heard you one time too many there in that mall. I'm in bad debt. I got a boat. I got a car. I got tons of clothes. I got all these things. I, what am I going to do? God will give you wisdom. It'll take a while to get you out of debt. It's going to take a while. Go buy all the lotto tickets you want. You're just helping somebody else win millions of dollars. I've never bought one in my life. Never once. Because every time I go to do it, I said, I'm just going to make somebody else rich. Besides, if God wants me to win the lotto, I'll find one on the ground and pick it up. <clears throat> Listen to what Jesus said about money. Luke 16 and verse 10. Here's a little clue for you. Luke 16, verse 10. Jesus said, he who is faithful in what is least, now he's talking about money. He who is faithful in what is least, he who is faithful with money is faithful also in much or with many other things. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon or with money, <coughs> who will commit to your trust the true riches. And if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, another man's property or another man's money, who will give you what is your own? So I hear something here. Jesus is literally telling us that the acid test, the litmus test of character and of responsibility and loyalty and faithfulness and dependability is what you do with a dime. If you'll handle that money wisely, the, the unrighteous mammon, here's what God will do. Well, look, look how they handle that. I'm going to give them much. So, you can pray for money all day long. I guarantee you, you will get there by the pathway laid out by Jesus. And that is, he's going to watch and see, he's going to watch how you handle a small amount. Are you faithful with it? Are you, are you faithful to other people? Do you pay your bills? Then he'll give you what is much. Now, that's just what Jesus said. So that tells me something else about Jesus. He's watching how we handle money. He's watching how we tithe. He's watching what we do with it. Or how would he know to give us much? Or how would he know that we were faithful over little? Unless he was watching. He's watching. 
He watches the checks you write. He watches every time that plastic flops down on that shelf or goes through that machine. He watches. He watches how we pay back. He watches what we do with it. Now, verses 7 and 9, everybody say amen, breathe deep. I can feel tension in this room. (laughs) Look what he says to the people who have been wronged. This is what I really want to focus on tonight more than anything else. He says, be patient, brethren. He's talking now to those who have been wronged. The brethren are those who have been wronged by fraud. Be patient to the coming of the Lord. He says, you notice how the farmer waits for the fruit of the earth? He patiently waits for the early and the latter rain, the farmer has patience. He says, those of you who are being wronged, who are experiencing difficulty, who are experiencing stresses in life, who are battling temptation, going through hard times, he said, be patient. Be patient. I called this message tonight, Patience is the Pace of the Race. Because I want to tell you something. Patience is the pace of the race. Patience. Patience. It's the tortoise that won the race, not the rabbit patient. He said, those of you that are being wronged, be patient. You know, that is the definition of strength. If you can be strong and patient while you're being wronged and you're being tried. He says, now, look at that farmer. It rains early in the season, but then he's way patient. He waits for that latter rain, and he's patient. He knows God's going to do it. He doesn't know exactly when, but he knows he is. So there is a patience with this person. There is a patience with this man. Patience with this farmer. Patience is the pace of the race. He's not in a hurry. He's not chewing his nails. He's not wondering where God is. He said, notice him, watch him, and you be the same way. Because here's the deal. He promises them, God is going to judge your situation. He's going to judge your situation. He's going to judge the wicked, and he's going to reward the just. As surely as you sit there, God's going to judge the wicked. Be patient. He's going to reward the just. The way it looks now is not the way it always will be. Hey, you're in the middle of the book. You're in the middle of the movie. Wait till the last chapter. Wait till the closing credits. God's not done. Patience is the pace of the race. It's never over until God has had his say. Be patient. Just be patient. Patience doesn't mean passive. It doesn't mean you're just sitting there letting life beat up on you. Patience means you are continuing in your faith, in forward movement while you are waiting on God. You're patient. You're not passively letting life pummel you. You are patiently moving forward in faith, fully expecting God is going to show up on the scene. If you're being wrong, He's going to judge it. If you're waiting for provision, he's going to bring it. Whatever it is you're struggling with, God is going to show up. Patience is the pace of the race. You've got to just say, I believe you, I trust you. Patience is not, listen, patience is a verb. It is an action. I believe you, Lord. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up. Look how you're moving. They shall mount up with wings like the eagle. They will run. How are they running? In patience. They shall run and not faint. They shall walk and not faint. Look, running, walking, mounting up with wings as eagles. That's not just sitting there letting life beat up on you. You're moving forward. But you're being patient. Patient. 
patient. That's the pace of the race. So in the morning when you wake up, if it's financial provision, if it's getting out of debt, whatever it is, you just say, you know, Lord, I trust you. I give it to you. I may not see everything today, but you know what, Lord? I know you're going to show up. I patiently wait for you. Your time is not my time. Mine isn't yours. Your thoughts are not my thoughts, and my thoughts aren't yours. I trust you because what I see or don't see today has nothing to do with reality. The real reality is beyond the veil, beyond the curtain, into the spiritual world where God is moving on your behalf in His timing. It manifests in time and space. But until it does, doesn't mean it's not real. Hey, all kinds of things are beyond that veil right now. Because you've prayed and you believe God, there are things beyond that curtain in the spirit world right now that God's already released. It just hasn't manifested yet in time and space. But it will. Just because it hasn't doesn't mean it's not there. Reality is not this. This will burn up. It's going to melt with a fervent heat according to Peter. It's going to melt. This whole building is going to melt with a fervent heat. What will be left standing? The spirit world. Angels. God. The Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's going to be left standing. And that's what's there right now. So when you pray, God says, Amen. He releases it. But it may be time before it manifests in time and space. So what? Doesn't mean it's not there. Your provision is there. Getting out of debt is there. Healing is there. A word from heaven is there. In the meantime, patience is the pace of the race. Patience. Whether I see it or don't see it, it doesn't matter to me. I'm patient. I wait for that latter rain. I wait for that latter rain. I'm going to wait for that latter rain. It'll show up in God's time. Amen? Can you say with me, patience is the pace of the race? Let's try it again. Patience is the pace of my race. Now he says, be encouraged to persevere by the example of the prophets. He goes, talks about the prophets in verse 12. He said, no, I'm sorry, that's verse 10. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. We count them blessed who endure. And then he talks about the perseverance of Job. His own wife is sitting there saying, would you just curse God and die? His own wife. Three of his very best friends come to him and they counsel him wrongly the whole time. Tell him it's all his fault. You sinned. You did something wrong, Job, or this wouldn't all be on you. And Job had to persevere. Now, I love this phrase. It says, you've heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end, the end, the end intended by the Lord. That tells me there's a beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end intended. You know that sometimes, folks, you don't see it in the beginning. You don't see it in the middle. You don't see what God intended until the end. That's why I say, you can't look at your situation and go, well, God didn't answer, or, 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 or there's no breakthrough, or this is all there is. No, no, no. Because you might be in the middle. You've got to hang around for the end, and in the end, then you see what God intended. What God intended. I just, you know, that phrase, I've preached on this, Several times, just on that one phrase, the end intended by the Lord. It has a music to me. The end intended by the Lord. That tells me in the middle of it, I might see things that don't look like anything God intended. 
It may not look like something where God is working at all. That's because it's not to the end yet. But there is an end intended. You know, if you looked at the life of Jesus, if you looked at him on the cross, beaten beyond recognition, bloodied, bruised, not even recognizable as a man or as a human, he looked defeated, he looked destroyed, his own disciples walked away. You know why they walked away? Because they didn't hang around to see the end intended by the Lord. Because there he was hanging on that cross. Now, they walked away saying, we were fools, we're defeated, we're all going to be thrown in jail, we may all meet that fate. But then they took him down, and then they laid him in a tomb. And where are his disciples? Off in a room, behind locked doors, trembling, shivering, filled with fear, thinking it was all for nothing. But then, the end intended by the Lord. And the Holy Ghost moved into that tomb, breathed on his dead body, and the Son of God sat up, fell out of those grave clothes, stood up with a glorified body, walked through that wall. They didn't roll that stone away. The angel didn't roll that stone away to let him out. He didn't need it. It was to let them in so they could see the end intended by the Lord. Because there's an end that he intends. And the only way you're ever going to see the end that he intends is if you patiently endure. And one day, the veil is removed. The curtain opens. God pulls the blinds open. And you see the end intended by the Lord. You might be looking at your situation right now going, this is nothing but a never-ending trial. What in the world is going on? This is never going to stop. What am I going to do? This is a never-ending tribulation. How is this ever going to close out? And you get defeated, and you want to faint, and you want to give up and put up the white flag. But listen to me. Every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of change. Only good comes from Him. If you're in the middle of something, hang around, persevere, patience is the pace of the race, wait until the end intended by the Lord. There's an end intended. And it's not Satan's intention, it's not the flesh's intention, it's what He intended. Praise God. Come on, everybody. Well, Pastor Jeff, I've been waiting years. I don't see nothing. Well, by that very statement, you're not waiting in faith. See, you, you can wait. Oh, yeah. You can wait with an attitude. Bless God, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Uh, or that Christianity didn't work for me, or that faith stuff doesn't work for me. See, there's lots of ways you can wait. But if you wait in faith with patience, you will see the end intended. What he had in his mind, what he has wanted to do the whole time. Ooh, I'll tell you, there's something on that phrase for me tonight. The end intended by the Lord. I like that, because so many times we think about the end intended by Satan. And isn't Satan good about when you're in a trial, flashing across the screen of your mind, the end? Isn't he good with that? It's over with for you. And you think that's the end. But then here comes God right behind him. No, 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 no. And he erases it. Hang on. 
for the end intended by me. Come on. And I don't know who that's for tonight, but it's for somebody. Go pass out the tape. Now, let's close out, and then I'm going to have some coffee and cookies. That's the end intended by the Lord for me tonight. I know that. <laughs> Matter of fact, that's usually the end he intends for me every night. I love that. All right. intended by the Lord. The end intended by the Lord. Now, verse 12, he's going to talk to us about swearing. Now, i got to deal with this because it's in the Word. Look what he says. Don't swear. Do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath that say yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond that is evil. Now, let me tell you about swearing. Because I think we don't understand. We'll call it cussing, swearing. But let me talk to you about swearing. Swearing began as an attempt to involve the name or the character of God to support a claim or a promise. Uh, you can track it way back to the Old Testament. So you would have people saying, um, say they're doing a business deal, and they would say, by God, I will do it. Now see, that was swearing. What you're doing, you're, you're bringing God in to human action. Okay? And, and you're saying, by God, or God is my witness, okay? God is my witness, I will do it. Now, you've got to be careful with that because what James is talking about is cheapening the name of God or taking the name of God lightly. He's saying be very careful with it. Uh, how about this? Uh, is that really true? I swear by God it's true. See, what are you doing? You're bringing God in to your attestation of truth. You're bringing God in. Why not just say, well, I'm telling you it's true. But no, see... We humans, by nature, you can take an atheist and they'll say, you know, by God, it's true. Because we know there's a higher being, even if we have not made allegiance to him. Have you ever noticed when people out in the world get mad, they don't say, Buddha! <laughs> have you ever noticed that? <laughs> or, <laughs> Krishna! <laughs> or how about, Muhammad. No, what they do, they J.C. Why? Why? What is it? If, if you don't believe in him, what out of all of your selections, why out of all your selections do you pick that one? Because there's something inherent. See, Ecclesiastes says that God has placed eternity in the hearts of all people. So we know the real thing by how we swear. Or it wouldn't matter. We'd pick any old name. But no, we pick his. Have you ever noticed that? You don't say, Muhammad, damn. Do you? Uh-uh. How is it that we know? Because we know. We know. He says, Jesus said, don't swear by heaven or by earth. Don't do it. Of course, the worst of the worst is when somebody comes along and GD. Why? Our hearts tell us it's real. 
quickly, Leviticus 19, I'm going to show you something here, in verse 12. Just about done, but I want to give you some verses so so you can know why you should not do it. Leviticus 19, 12. Look what he says, way back in the Old Testament. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane. That means to use it cheaply or under a curse. You shall not profane the name of your God. Notice that. I am the Lord. Isn't it interesting? God says, don't do it with my name. That shows you how important a name is, his name. Then Jesus comes along in Mark 16, for instance, verse 17, and he says, in my name. Here's how you use the name of God for a righteous thing. In my name, you'll cast out devils. In my name, you'll heal the sick. In my name, you'll raise the dead. So there is an unrighteous and a righteous use of the name of God. And he says, don't swear. If you're you're going to, let's say God says, all right, I want you to go to the mission field. Don't stand there in the presence of God and say, not only will I go to the mission field, I'll go for the rest of my life, and I'll never one time complain. I'll never one time cry about it. I'll never one time, I'll just go and I'll get, don't do that. Just say, yes. Because Jesus said, if you go bragging and making oaths and swear that you're going to do this and that and the other, being human and frail, you're going to fall. And the words of your mouth are going to snare you. Just going to snare you. Because you'll get in the mission field, get eat up with insects and whatever else, or have to eat some food. I lost 15 pounds when I went to India because I couldn't eat that food. I mean, I'm telling you. I just told them I felt led to fast. And I got sick as a dog. Now, if I had, before I went to India, if I had said, oh, I'll go to India, I'll eat anything they put in front of me, bless God, I'm a believer, hallelujah, and I got there and looked at that stuff, they were eating with their hands. I sat at that table, and I felt something rising up within me, and it was not the Holy Ghost. (laughs) Now, if I had gone off bragging and said, you know, I'm going to do, then the minute that I couldn't eat it, and I went back on my word, I've snared myself with the words in my mouth. So he says, don't do it. Just say, yes, yes. I say, yes, Lord. I say, yes, Lord. That's all. If you're going to say no, say no. And then, because anything beyond that, you're going to trip over your own word because you're human. Amen? So don't use the name of God. That's what, in closing, that's what Peter did. That's why Peter was so condemned. Do you know that? That's why Peter went off and wept bitterly. Because in the Greek language, if you read it in the Greek language, when he, the third time he denied Jesus, he, it says in the Greek language, he called down curses from heaven. Now, I'm going to paraphrase that for you. He cussed like a sailor. And he started swearing, and he started bringing God into it, and he brought down curses. And what was he doing? Saying, by God, by God, and he was cursing and everything else, I don't know him. So he brought God's name into denying God's son. Ooh, that's why he went off and wept bitterly and couldn't believe that Jesus would ever restore him. Jesus had to go to him, I've counted, three times, resurrected before the man would believe that he was restorable.
He felt so condemned over what he'd done. He snared himself. So just say yes. Let's just try it. Yes, Lord. I was going to say no, Lord, but I don't want you saying no, Lord. Yes, Lord. Let's stand together and say yes. Yeah. I'll keep you out of trouble. Well, did you get anything out of this tonight? All right. James is good, isn't it? <clears throat> James is good. Don't miss next week. We'll finish the book, and it's good, good, good stuff. It's great stuff, the last of that chapter. Father, we thank you tonight. We ask you to forgive us if we've sinned with our tongue, with our mouth, with our words. If we've used your name lightly, flippantly, or with cursing. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us. If we've bragged or made oaths or vows that were excessive and now we've snared ourselves with our words, forgive us. Lord, if we haven't been patient, if, our, if we're waiting with an attitude and not with faith, help us to exchange the attitude with faith. In the name of Jesus, Thank you, Lord God. If we've wronged people, if we've wronged anyone, defrauded anyone, or if we've been dishonest with money, forgive us, Lord, and help us to make it right. Now, you take a minute. Between you and God, as Steve just leads us through one song,